0: Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. You might want to stay standing. Keep dan- Who is dancing to that song? I mean, it's dance as you define it. You know, it might be like, you know, just a little like, that's dancing. Hey, hey, listen, if, if, if that's dancing for you, keep dancing. Wow, I love a new song. I've got to learn that one too. That's a new one for us at Redemption Hill. Uh, but I love the call, Deeper. Take us deeper, God. That's what this year our vision focus is about, deeper. We want to go deeper with Jesus. We want to walk more closely with Christ. And when we do, we will find more freedom, more healing. This is why he came. And so I love that God is a God of freedom. God is a God of life. God is a God of joy, God is a God of celebration. God is the God of the dance. In Matthew 11, 16 through 19, Jesus was having a conversation with the crowds and it seems that they were being a little critical of his, his good friend John the Baptist and, and, and they were also critical of him. And so Jesus just kind of, you know, Jesus was honest and, and we should be thankful that we have an honest God who was willing to point out our, our flaws and our wrong thinking so that we can get on his page because his page is the page of freedom. So he, he says to the crowds, he says, but what to, should I compare to this this generation. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children. Think about this picture. It's like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. And this is what they called out. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge for you. It's a funeral song, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him. A glutton and a drunkard. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her The the point that I want you to hear from those words of Jesus, and this blew me away a couple of years ago as I was just spending time in my daily time with God, Jesus is claiming in bold print right here that I showed up and yes, I am the God of the dance. I came to bring you life. I came to bring you joy. I came to bring you not just a little bit of joy, but a lot of joy. In fact, he says fullness of joy. Yes, I came to set your feet to moving so that you would dance with me through life and into eternity. And so the question I want to ask you today, and this is about us having a mindset and a perspective of God that is accurate. Listen, does your God dance? Does your God dance? Maybe maybe you grew up in churches, and, and I know sometimes even churches have this kind of written into their, their framework, but it's like, you know, like, dancing is evil. Like, you can't dance. And it's just like, I just, you know, like... Jesus says, I came that you would dance. So as we look at Mark chapter two this morning, verses 13 through 22, this this is what we encounter here. We encounter a God of celebration. Jesus is inviting us to join the celebration of his kingdom that he launched in his coming. That's my encouragement to you today from these words in Mark 2. Join the kingdom celebration launched in the coming of Jesus Christ. Let's read these words together. You can follow along as I read them for us. Mark writes this. He went out again beside the sea And all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, we know from the Gospel of Luke, this is Levi's house, not Jesus' house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, don't miss this, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, these religious leaders, these religious people. So concerned with outward appearances and and looking like they had it all together. Yes, this is the holier than thou crowd. They saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors. So they said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, He said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come. When the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, if he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. This morning as we make our way through these stories and words of Jesus, I want to ask you Three questions that will help us consider what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus or maybe for you today a potential follower of Jesus. You're thinking about it. You're learning about Jesus. What would it be like to follow him? I want to ask you three questions that will help you examine your own heart as we consider what it means to follow Christ. The first question is this. I hope you'll write it down who do you invite into your life? Who do you invite into your life? Okay, that is not a rhetorical question. That is a question that is for you to consider and think about and pray about and act accordingly. Immediately in this story, we hear an echo of chapter one where Jesus is beside the Sea of Galilee there in Capernaum, his hometown, and where he called out to four fishermen, Simon and Andrew, who were brothers, James and John, who were brothers, and he says to them those two words, follow me. And now again, Jesus is close to the sea and he's passing by. The crowds are gathering to hear his teaching and he passes by this tax booth and he sees a man named Levi who is also known as Matthew. Yes, the same Matthew who wrote the first gospel in the New Testament, Matthew. And he looks at him and he says to him, follow me. And we have to step back for a moment. And recognize what a radical, unconventional, unexpected move this is by Jesus here on the shores of the Sea of Galilee because no one, and I mean no one, would have expected him to issue an invitation to a guy who collected taxes. You say, well, Tanner, why is that? I mean, I know it's tax season and no one likes to give, you know, uh, more money back to Uncle Sam, you know, like no one's pumped up about that. Um, What's the big deal about him inviting a tax collector to follow him? Well, what we need to understand is that tax collectors were absolutely despised in first century Israel. For starters, The tax collectors worked for the imperial government of Rome who had come in and taken over their land. And so tax collectors were basically seen as traitors. But on top of that, tax collectors, when they collected taxes from people, they liked to overcharge people so they could stuff their pockets with the excess this is why their interaction with, with Gentiles uh, led them to be considered ritually defiled and Jewish tradition held that a tax collector would render a person's home unclean. It's like you have a tax collector over to your house and, and we, like that, that house is considered unclean, defiled. This is how wicked these tax collectors were and were viewed by people. So much so that a, an ancient historical writing known as the Talmud would say that tax collectors were in the same category as murderers and robbers. Everyone despised Levi, everyone viewed him with disdain. But not Jesus not Jesus. Jesus looks at him and I can just see, I can just see the twinkle in his eye. I can just see the smile on his face as he shatters the conventions of men. And he says, yes, God loves people like Levi. You come and you follow And what is more, Jesus doesn't just invite him over to his safe place, you know what I'm saying, like, you know, his house, but he's willing to go to Levi's neighborhood and hang out with Levi's friends, which, oh, guess what, were a bunch of tax collectors and sinful I mean, Jesus just keeps taking it up a notch, another level, another layer to the radical nature of the love of God. This was so radical to, to, to go to Levi's house and to share a meal because, you know, like we share meals with people, like sometimes we'll even like, you know, like sit down with strangers or whatever and get into a little conversation. It's like sometimes in our culture, you know, sharing a meal is nothing more than mere association. But in the first century uh, of, of Israel, it would have been communicating friendship. It would have been communicating love and acceptance. This is why the religious leaders were outraged. They could not believe that Jesus would receive those that they had rejected. And so they go to his disciples in verse 16 and they say, hey, why does Jesus eat with Tax collectors and sinners, and the term sinners here is not just you know like you know we we all sin. I, I don't like sin is missing God's mark. Sin is doing things that God would not want us to do, and I've never met a human being that is not in that camp, myself included. Right, but uh, but but this this word sinners here it would have probably pointed to uh, people in. Society that were the worst of sinners, people who participated in flagrant sin, tax collectors, thieves, and prostitutes. These people would have been on the margins of society, and yet Jesus loved them. He loved outcasts. Jesus loved the people that no one else loved. This was a defining characteristic of his life. We just read through the gospel of Luke as a church, and it is on full display in the gospel of Luke. The contrast cannot be more stark here as the religious leaders are saying, hey, what is he doing? It's not okay to associate with these kind of sinful people. And Jesus says, not only is it okay, not only is it permissible, it is my mission. This is why I came to love people who are hurting, to love people who are very, very far from God, the people who no one would ever think that they would care anything about God, or even, yes, can you believe it, that God would care anything about them? And Jesus shows up to show us the contrary. He makes a bold statement in verse 17 when he says this to them. Maybe he overhears it. Maybe it's part of just his, his omniscience on display, but he says, hey, listen up. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. These extremely provocative acts epitomized Jesus' purpose. This is why he came. When he says, I came to call sick people, sinful people, he's saying, I came to invite them. I came to show them what it means to have a relationship with God, that that Jesus was calling them into a relationship of discipleship. In other words, what it looks like to follow him and to be a part of God's kingdom and God's ways. He called them to experience salvation because that is exactly what they needed. They were broken on the inside as we all are. They were sick on the inside as we all are. And that's why they needed a healer, a physician, a savior to come and to touch their souls and to bring the healing that would set them free. And, and, and I love the, 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 the sarcasm. <laughs> there's, a, there's a bit of holy sarcasm in Jesus' words here when he says, I came not to call the righteous. And the NLT captures the meaning when it says, I have not come to call those who think they are righteous but those who know they are sinners. What what Jesus is saying is he's saying, you have a category from which you are exempt, but no one is exempt from that category. We are all sinners. We are all broken people. We all need the grace of God. We all need the healing touch of God in our lives. This is why I've come We're all sick, no one is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3, 10. And so if we're gonna follow Jesus, if we're gonna say, hey, this is my God, this is my king, this is the one I follow, then we have to start asking the question, how much time do we spend with people who do not yet believe in Jesus? Do do we love Jesus? everyone. That we love people like Jesus loved people. Because as we see in the gospel with his controversial interactions with all kinds of people, listen, no one was off limits. There was no one in Capernaum the, the, the worst of the worst in society's eyes. Like, I don't know who that is for you. Like, I, I don't know, like, the, the person that is the most self-centered person in your workplace or the person that is the most rude neighbor on your street. Um, you know, like, but God, God loves them. God cares about them. He's calling us to do the same. Verse 15 makes my heart burn. Did you catch it? It says that as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Why is that, Mark? It says this for there were many who followed him. Many who followed him. This is not a one off. This is not this is not like some exception to the norm for Jesus. Okay, he was constantly hanging out with broken people. He was constantly hanging out with the outcast and the marginalized. I have a sneaky suspicion that Jesus would be a staple fixture at AA meetings and NA meetings because he loves people who are hurting. What about me, God? What about us? Do we make time for people? Do we make time, yes, for people that make us uncomfortable by the way they live their life, by the decisions that they make? Jesus has not called us to a neat, tidy, sanitized life. He's called us into the mess. He's called us into the brokenness. He's called us into the hospitals where people are on life support spiritually. Oh God, help us see people like you see them. I I, I love this. There's a principle here in this this story. Listen, Jesus did not see people in their present condition. He saw them with their future potential. We, we, We have it so wrong. We are so messed up and jacked up because we only see people for who they are right now, not who God can make them to be. God, forgive us. Forgive me, Lord. Help me to see people for who they can become when you get a hold of their heart, Lord, when your grace invades their life. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians five sixteen. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we even used to view Jesus like that. We should get excited to spend time with people who were rough around the edges. Because Jesus, as Luke 7 tells us in this parallel passage of Matthew 11, we already heard, Jesus was a friend. Did you hear that? A friend. A friend. Not an acquaintance. Not someone that you say, what's up to in the neighborhood? He knew them. He was a friend. He spent time with them. He went into their homes. He was welcomed. He not only loved them, but yes, let's ask the question, do do, do people like this love us? Do they even want to be around us? If they don't want to be around us, probably because we're not living a lot like Jesus. Who do you invite into your life? What would your calendar tell me if we just kind of took a peek at the last 6 to 12 to 18? We can go back 24. I know COVID's has made it more difficult to connect with people or whatever. We can use that excuse if we want to. But, you know, it's like, what, what will the next 12 months tell us? What will the next 24 months tell us about how we love the people around us? Who will we invite into our life? And then number two, here's a second question for you. Are you experiencing the joy of Jesus' kingdom now? Are you experiencing the joy of Jesus' kingdom now? We, we pick this up in verse 18. Now John's disciples and disciples of the Pharisees were fasting and so they send people. This was probably prompted by the religious leaders, the the the, the Pharisees, to ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, like we're fasting, and you now John's disciples, John the Baptist, they're fasting. It's like your disciples, they're not fasting, what's going on? This is this is no doubt a loaded question, and it's loaded with criticism hey, your disciples, they're not, they're not as spiritual, you know? Like, we not only observe the fast in the law, like the Day of Atonement or the other festivals, even like the, the Feast of, and Festival of Purim that we saw in the book of Esther in the fall, um, you know, but, but we even add on to that. Like, we're so spiritual and religious that we fast twice a week. Luke 18 talks about this, that they would fast twice a week on two days of the week to, to show their devotion to God. And so Jesus answers their question as he so often does with a, a question. He says to them this, can, can wedding guests fast when the bridegroom is in their midst? And listen, this is, this is like Jesus was just so smooth and so smart and so wise because he asked them a question that everyone would have the same answer for. no. Like even in our day, when we go to a wedding, we're we're, we're there to participate in the celebration. We're there to enjoy the hors d'oeuvres or the dinner or whatever the cake is like. we're, We're there to have a good time. Why? Because it is a time of celebration. And in Jewish culture, this would have been ratcheted up so much more than ours. Jewish weddings were festive and extravagant affairs. They were the largest social events of village life. They were a time of intense joy and celebration. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying that I have come as the bridegroom to launch the arrival of God's kingdom on earth. Fasting often expresses sorrow or mourning for things that we want to be different in us or around us, but celebration like a wedding is to, to experience joy and gladness over what is happening, and Jesus is saying, hey, do you not see it? Do you not see what I see? Do you not see what I've come to bring? Listen, lame people are walking. Lame people are dancing. Blind people are seeing. Sinners are being forgiven by God, restored back into a relationship with with God. This is no time for mourning. This is time for celebration. The kingdom of God is in your midst. But not only that, Jesus, with this this metaphor of a bridegroom and saying, hey, I am the bridegroom who is here, okay, this is a veiled allusion to his divinity. Why is that? In the Old Testament, we do not see a Messiah who would serve as the bridegroom of Israel, the the, the job description that that belongs to is God himself. Go read Isaiah 54, Hosea 2, Ezekiel 16, Isaiah 5, Isaiah 62. God says, look, I love my people. I'm going to be united to them forever. I am going to restore our relationship in a perfectly restored world. And Jesus says, this is why I came. I came to bring people back to God. I came to bring people back to me. And then he he tells two other parables or gives two other analogies that that help explain what his coming means. So we need to understand the wedding feast because because. What he explains in the next two analogies are tied to what he's just said about the celebration of the kingdom of God. He he says that 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 people don't take uh, an old cloth that's been torn. I know like, you know, holes in jeans that's in style or whatever, all right, but that wasn't in style in the first thing. Like if you got a rip in your, your your you know tunic or your cloak or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like then then like that you you wanted to you want to stay warm. So you would patch that up, but if you took a new piece of of cloth that was not pre-shrunk and you put that on an old tear, then when you sew that in and it begins to shrink from the elements and the heat and the weather, then it's going to make a bigger tear as it shrinks and pulls on the old cloth. I mean, if you ever like put a new sweater, this is like a $10, by the way. Just got this one at Gap, $10. And uh, I'm worried because if, if we're not careful and we put this thing in the dryer, okay, then you're not gonna see this on Pastor Tanner again and any other Sunday, okay, because I'm not gonna be able to wear it. That's the same, same kind of scenario going on here. And then he gives another analogy he says, you know, you don't take new wine and put it into old wineskins. Why is that? It's because... New wine, as it, as it ferments and it, and it gives off, uh, I think it's carbon dioxide if I read that right, um, then, then the, it, it, it causes the wineskins to expand. And if these old wineskins have already expanded, then it's going to cause them to burst and the wine is lost and the wineskins are no good. And so Jesus, what are you talking about with this cloth and patch and old and new and new wine and old wineskins? He's saying this. The new wine of my kingdom cannot be poured into the old wineskins of Judaism. They are incompatible. I did not come, Jesus says, to destroy or modify the law. I came to fulfill it. A new day has dawned. There is a new covenant of how people are now going to relate to God. The old ways of relating to God through extensive ceremony and sacrifice are unnecessary because it all culminates in me. I am the sacrifice. I am the temple. I am your access to God. I am your rest. We could keep going. As, as one scholar, Edward, says, both analogies illustrate the radical new era in Jesus' coming. Jesus is the new cloth and the new wine. I love this. He is not an attachment, addition, or appendage to the status quo. He cannot be integrated into or contained by pre-existing structures, even Judaism, the Torah that means the law first five books of the Bible, or the synagogue. And so, so what Jesus is saying is that, I have come to bring God's kingdom, and it is so fundamentally uh, different and altogether new that what you knew before, you have to rethink because I have come to. Fulfill it. And I think a great example of this is what Jesus says in John 13, verse 34, where he says, A new command I give you, love one another. You say, well, like, Jesus, that's not new. That's super old, okay? Like, we saw that in the garden. Like, God told Adam and Eve, like, I'm sure, like, God, you know, love one another. And then we see this in the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis. It's like, you know, Cain murdered his brother Abel. God's not okay with that because he made us to love one another. And then if you want a really explicit verse we see in Leviticus where it says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's like, Jesus, that's not, that's not new. That's old. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, love one another as I have loved you. People had never seen a God come down to earth, take on our weakness, walk among them, And yes, then ultimately go to a cross and die a cruel death in our place, sacrificing his own life that we might be set free and have the life God wants for us. Jesus is saying, this is what's new about the command that I'm giving you to love one another because new wine doesn't fit into old wineskins. My kingdom is better than you can imagine. It's bigger and better than your wildest dreams. When we see Jesus for who he is and truly understand what he has done for us, celebration is the only option celebration is the only option. Jesus came to bring us joy. Romans 14, 17 says this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Go read the context if you want to talk about eating and drinking, okay? He's, not, he's talking about eating things that makes, make, some, make someone stumble or that you know, they might not approve of. And so he's like, you know, if, if, you, if you might offend someone by what you eat or drink, then don't eat or drink that. But you're free in Christ to eat anything that God has given that's going to be healthy and build up your body. So that's, that's the context. So for, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy. In God's presence is fullness of joy. Psalm 16, verse 11. And so I just love that like every this is when we start, we we talk about a redemption show, fight for vision. And what we mean by that is like a fight to see God's world through God's eyes. And so now, like at every birthday party and every anniversary, and yeah, it is Valentine's Day, happy Valentine's Day, by the way, right? Like like every every moment of celebration, we should remember this is God made us for this. This this is just a faintest glimpse of what we will experience for all eternity in the kingdom of God. For those of us who acknowledge our need for God now, it is a time of celebration because we are entering into the newness of the kingdom of God. It is so new that the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come wild, wild, wild truth for us to receive today. And so I want to ask you once again, do you, are you, are you experiencing the joy of Jesus' kingdom now? We should be, I love this truth and I I want to live this, we should be the, the most joyful people on the planet we should have the music up the loudest, all right? We should be the best dancers. We should throw the biggest parties. And I think this is one of the problems with the church, okay? And, I, and I'm not saying that redemption Hills is exempt from this, okay? Is that I think that if people saw people who were full of joy, full of life, full of celebration, they might actually want to follow Jesus too. Let's be people who see the kingdom, who know Jesus, so, who walk so closely with him that we can't help it. This is what Jesus talked about in John 15. Go read it as his homework. John chapter 15, verses one through 15. He says, I have come that you may have joy and that your joy might be complete or full. This is why Jesus came. Are you experiencing it? The celebration of the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom that is right now. But then finally, and we're going to flip the script a little bit, and we're going to kind of downshift a little bit because there's a third question that we have to wrestle with. And that is this. Do you, do you live with a longing for the not yet of Jesus' kingdom? Do you live with a longing for the not yet of Jesus' kingdom. Okay, so so we have to read carefully here because Jesus doesn't say don't fast. In fact, Jesus says, my disciples, they will fast when I am taken away. And when Jesus says when I am taken away, he's, he's pointing to his coming death on a Roman cross his subsequent resurrection and his ascension that we just read about in the book of Acts in our reading plan as a church. And so why will we fast when Jesus is not here? It's because we long to be with him and we long to see more of his kingdom unfold before our eyes, so if you want to know, like, why fast, just put a why question like, mark. here are the 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 prominent two reasons for me is I'm reading the scripture. Okay, I want more of God and more of God's kingdom. And why is that? It's because I am still broken, and so is the world around me. That's why we fast. Because the kingdom is now, but the kingdom is also not yet. And what I mean by that is this: that the kingdom has not come in its fullness. People are still hurting. People are still broken. Injustice still abounds. People still hate one another. And we're not living in line with the, the love of God and the kingdom of God. Viruses and cancer and so much of, of, of what we see that, that, that brings us sorrow and mourning and fills our pillows with tears at night is still present in our world. And so we seek after God's presence in his kingdom through fasting. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 6. He says, and when you fast, this is just those words, it's an expectation. He, he wanted his disciples to fast. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they just figure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And so, so this, is, this is what I want to encourage you to. And especially as we, this week, begin a season of Lent, 40-day journey up to the resurrection of Jesus. Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday. And and it is a time for us to reflect and to pray into the brokenness in our lives and the brokenness that we see around us in our world. Because the kingdom is not yet. We live with this tension We celebrate and we should celebrate loud and long because God is at work. Jesus is on the move. His kingdom is coming. But we should also fast and pray and long for healing and restoration that we don't see around us. This is is what I want to call the rhythm of a Christian when it comes to this. The rhythm of a Christian, this is the tension that we live in. And this is, you know how life works, okay? This can be like moment to moment, hour to hour, or day to day. We celebrate the now of Christ's kingdom. When you see God at work, celebrate it. Let you call your friends and let them know what God is up to so that they can enter into the joy of that. But we don't just celebrate. We fast with longing for the not yet of Christ's kingdom. So I want to encourage you this week, as you seek God through giving up something, what, what is fasting? Let's just, let's just hear that. So we're super clear on what it is. Fasting is voluntary abstaining from food or another regular routine for spiritual purposes. That's what we're talking about with fasting. We're, we're giving up something, but we give it up not just to like for asceticism, you know, just to like kind of, you know, uh, weaken our flesh or to experience something hard, okay? But uh, we, we give up something so that we can have more of God. We, we fast to feast on God. We, we fast to say, God, I want more of your work around me. I want to see you move in, in the people's lives that I care about. You know, maybe God will lead you to, to fast and pray for, 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 for some specific needs in your life, in the lives of those around you in this season of Lent. However, he leads you, step into it with all of your heart longing for God to move in powerful ways. I wanna encourage you, take the Bible reading plan that we've given you and as you fast and forsake food and maybe you give up lunch or whatever, like you can take in God's word and, and, and hear from him and hear him speak to you. You can take the monthly prayer guide that Pastor Steve has created that's on our church app and you can find ways to pray every single day for how we want to see God move among us. Listen, this is, this is such good news. This is such good news. Jesus was not okay with the brokenness of our world, which is why he went to the cross to become broken for us. And I don't know about you, but, but that's the kind of God that I want to follow who's so committed to bringing his healing touch and his touch of restoration that there's nothing that he wouldn't do to make it happen. And so we follow in his footsteps, like as we start Lent this week and as we enter into a season of longing and and, and focusing more greatly on God and, and his work in us and through us and among us, we gladly give up things in our lives so that we can love the people around us, so that we can pray for them, so that we can see the kingdom of God move in power right before our eyes. So we started this service with a, a celebration, dancing deeper, God, deeper still, we're going to sing and celebrate. But we're also going to live in that other tension, that rhythm of longing for more. God, more of you. We need more of you. So we're going to sing two songs. One is a prayer, give me faith that we're broken, we're weak. We need you in our life, God. We need your spirit. And the other song is, is just that, Lord, I need you. I, I need you to work. I need you to move. I need you to change me. I ne- we need you to change world and so I just want to pray into that and then we're going to sing and worship and cry out to God with a longing heart for him to move among us God we thank you that you're the God of celebration you're the God of the dance God we thank you that you are at work in us to change us and to accomplish more of what you want in our life God more of, 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 of your presence more of, of your spirit producing the things that, that look like you virtue and love and joy and peace and patience and all these things and so God as we seek you in this season as we, we call upon your name we ask that that you would put specific needs on our hearts. And that as we pray, as we we even mourn, as we even lament for the brokenness in our world, the brokenness within us, God, that you would meet us there. That you would show us who you are. That you would empower us to live the lives that you've called us to live. All for your great name. So God, give us faith. God, we need you. We want you. We long for you. And so God, would you move in power as we sing in worship, as we move out from this place. We pray in Jesus' name.